Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of After Work Drinks With. This week, we are speaking to the woman we both wish we were, Florence Given. She is a British woman who became an internet sensation by encouraging women everywhere to dump their shitty boyfriends. She's an activist, an ally, and an author. And her first book, Women Don't Owe You Pretty, is already a bestseller, and it's out in Australia this week. We've been sitting on this interview for a little while, and we're so stoked to be sharing it with you guys because we literally cover everything. I feel like it's the kind of conversation you'll listen back to multiple times. We talk about breaking up with friends, her crumbs and cake analogy for dating, which 14-year-old me needed to desperately hear, masturbation and female pleasure, marriage and social conditioning, figuring out your sexuality and deconstructing the male gaze. So we love her. Uh, And if you don't already, we know you will after listening to this. So we're excited for you. If you love this episode, which we are almost certain you will, please share it on Instagram, tell your friends, tell your mum, tell your little sister and anyone young you know, because it will save them. As always, please rate, review and subscribe and we will see you next week. Bye. for talking to us we're so excited to talk to you we just finished your book oh you finished it yeah we fucking loved it <laughs> so glad I've um all the kind of feedback I've had from it has been from um like I've had articles written about it or I've like spoken to people on Instagram but I've not actually t- talked through the book with someone so this is great no it is so good both of us were just like god I wish someone had just fucking whacked us over the head I wish someone whacked me over the head with this I I wanted to like just whack it over my head when I was like 14 Mm. years old like yeah the book I fucking needed no yeah it is so good congratulations I can't deal that you are 
Are you 21 still? 21, yeah. God, I can't deal with it. I'm like, I was such an comes, idiot when I was 21. I mean, yeah. It comes with a lot of experience though. Do you know what I mean? It's like this, yeah. It's like the, the reason um, I'm very well read, but it's because I've been through a lot of shit. So that's why. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's, everyone, I get this question every single week and I just don't even know, I don't even know what to say to people. Every time I'm like, oh, it's just my life. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's me now. Like I've like gone through some shit in like the recent in the past year, and I'm like, yeah. I feel like I'm 152 years you, old. I like I feel I don't know how old I even feel, but I don't feel yeah one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes it very hard actually also to make friends because um, my peer group don't want to talk about the same stuff as I do. So all of my mm-hmm. friends are older than me. I think the older you get, and the more you start to care about. Um, social justice issues or things that are going on in the world it becomes a lot harder as well to relate to people that don't have that same interest so is that something you've kind of found and how do you deal with that in terms of the people that you're friends with so yeah yeah the thing is with friends it makes it very hard to because you want to I think as a white woman anyway I feel like part of um encouraging my white friends to open their perspective to anti-racism that's part of my job as a white person so even though it's labor i don't count it as labor because i'm like well that should be done anyway right but i think where it becomes exhausting being friends with people who don't politically i can't do it i can't do it i can't be friends with people who don't politically who aren't politically aligned with me um but there does like you know you're saying it's like you you put so much work into understanding these things and then someone it just doesn't it doesn't i think the person has to be willing to do that work on their own it's every person's work to be dismantling these beliefs that we have and you can't do that work for the person anyway because if they're leaning on you to do it it's it, they're not going to learn it's like no, no mm. one said to me floss come on like you need to learn about racism i took that work on myself as should every white person and sometimes it does come down to someone introducing you to that work but it should not be this painstaking um thing where you're like constantly having to like um if you know what i'm saying i don't know hold someone's hand having having, yeah it's just having i can't be friends with people who aren't willing to challenge their beliefs because i'm a very growth oriented person you know outside of um learning about uh anti-racism and all, all this all this very important stuff outside of that that's just a given but outside of that I'm a very growth oriented person anyway and my friends in my life know not to become attached to any version of me because I'm constantly fucking evolving and I don't want anyone to get attached to any kind of version of me because then what happens is I feel I have to perform this lower floss that they knew and fell in love with to maintain that friendship if i'm like do you know what i want to set this boundary i don't like that you come over here um all the time anymore can you can we set a thing where you don't come over here um and sometimes it feels like rejection but really it's about me learning that this person coming into my life all the time um i was never comfortable with it and now i'm putting my foot down and saying hey i love you and i love our friendship and you know what to preserve it i also have to preserve myself and my energy and i don't like that you're over here all the time so can we set a boundary where we 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 check in all the time saying i would like some alone time this week or i would like this or i would like that and i think the good friendships in your life allow you to evolve 
and they allow you to, your friends should want you to reach your higher self. Your friends should want you to be the best version of you that you could possibly be. And I think it's tricky as well when you are in, so I realized like a long time ago when I was like 14 years old. So I was bullied at high school and I was kind of isolated from my friendship group for a long time. And being isolated and not really having a lot of friends to talk to, I did eventually make some friends, but in like one Spanish class or something. Um, and not having any friends, it kind of isolated me. I had to, I'm a very reflective person. I like to view everything as a mirror to avoid uh, projecting onto people. I like it to bounce back. So like anything I think about people, I'm like, but do I think about them because they make me feel insecure? Or do they make me feel this way because this is a trigger for me and all this kind of stuff. So in when I was in high school, I, that's when I learned about internalized misogyny, which is um, chapter five in my book, where I talk all about um, flipping the judgments that we have of women in our heads. And all, of the, all this kind of stuff I learned from a very young age. And I had to cut off loads of friends because of that, because... Um, because I'm just constantly growing and refining myself. So I find it, yeah. I was gonna say to you, um, like the fact that you're constantly growing and constantly refining yourself and figuring out who you are, obviously quite a lot of people wouldn't be able to keep up with that. Um, how do you cope with losing? Cause I've recently lost like a few close friends. How do you cope with losing those friends? Cause I feel like there's like so much written about using about breaking up with someone and losing a lover but less about yeah, friends because the thing is with friends we feel so guilty right there's so much guilt about growing and i'm not saying i'm better than you you get the top it's absolutely not like that i've got friends who have always been cheering me on in the background never said a bad word about me behind my back like oh who the fuck does floss think she is or the but anyone who does say that bye I don't need you anyway. Like if you're going to try and be an obstacle of me living my life and encouraging other people, to, I don't want people to like me. I want people to like them fucking selves. Like when people say stuff to me, like, oh, I just, just don't like, I'm like, that's okay. I don't need you to like me. I just want you to like yourself. Like I literally, I can't not like anyone because most of the shit that people direct away anyway is a reflection of how they talk to themselves. And yeah, I just think I have, I have had to cut a lot of people off. Um, but people think that it's this kind of like, you have to get over your need of being seen as this nice person. And I think as women, that is what we mm. cling to. So I, I'm basically, I've evolved into what I used to think was a bitch. So I used to think a woman who, basically I was just afraid my whole life of being a bitch. And then my ex-boyfriend called me a bitch. And then that's when I dumped him. Cause I was like, oh I was like this is what a bitch is because it was the first time it was a really awful horrible relationship and it was the first time I said no to him and then he called me a bitch and I, it just burst my bubble and I was like fucking hell I'd spent my whole life being afraid of being called a bitch and a bitch is just a woman who can say no and assert herself and now I feel like I've, I've fully embodied my misogynistic idea of, of a bitch you know and a bitch was I used to think these really confident women I would see in the media I'd be like oh, she's such a bitch but no she was I was just so jealous of her like I was so jealous of the way that these women commanded a room and the way that they just made their presence I love women who just make you want to respect you because of their energy and I would 
project that onto them my insecurity and I'd be like oh she's such a bitch and it's like no you just feel really small in her presence because she reminds you that you're a fucking doormat to everyone in your life and you can't say no so (laughs) I think um also being that person now being able to say no being able to communicate my desires and my discomfort something I'm working on all the time um it's still really hard for me you know it's like your whole um, if you, if I've spent 21 years being a people pleaser, it's going to take 21 years to like fully get that out of my system. You know, it's still, um, it's repeating patterns that were formed in your subconscious mind. It's really hard to rewire them. But when it comes to your friends and letting them go, I think that's, um, it's, you should, we should normalize breaking up with friends. I do it all the time. I do it, um, because they say shitty things they make me feel shitty and trust me I reflect is it about me is it them or are they just a shitty person I go to therapy and I talk about it before I even cut someone off you know it's a big thing for me to make that decision of saying to someone I'm sorry you can't be in my life anymore because you're you're damaging my growth and you're 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 trying to like pull me back down and I think it's also learning the difference between when you're feeling shitty because it's an insecurity of of your own and when you're feeling shitty because someone is manipulating you to feel small and there's a big difference I don't know if it's one chapter but it's throughout the book on dating we're amazing thank you yeah one chapter yeah Yeah. um I actually ended up crying in it (laughs) surprisingly because I was just like I wish I had this when I was 14 I just Mm -hmm. thought back to my little self chasing after boys and being treated like shit and I was like I just wish someone had hit me over the head with this um can you break down the cake and crumbs analogy because I feel like that really encapsulates yeah your message on that um stop settling for crumbs you deserve the cake is like a it's a well-known quote it's like as soon as I broke up and I was following all of these relationship like post um, abusive relationship, like Instagram accounts, the whole messaging was stop settling for crumbs, you deserve the cake. And I decided decided to expand on that analogy in terms of being single. So the analogy is stop settling for crumbs, you deserve the cake. And I started to have this me- this visual in my mind of what I was doing with these, with these men, because it was always men. I'm bisexual and I date women, but it was always with men that I would beg for their crumbs I would like and I had this visual in my head I was like oh my god they've literally been like it's like being sat that they're sat at the table and I'm on the floor waiting for their crumbs like and it's their crumbs of attention as well and the thing is it's like they can literally just drop you these crumbs so that you stay and you keep going rather than just closing the door and this I said in my book it's in the form of like text messages or dropping in every now and then and all, all of this kind of stuff because they don't have any actual time for you in real life when you're if, if this is a person who is like giving you crumbs and the thing is even if you're someone who gives someone crumbs it doesn't necessarily make you a bad person I've given people crumbs before without knowing that I'm giving people crumbs it's it's a um you only have so much to give right and I think it's the communication thing. It's me. I, I've been in situations where I have dropped in on someone when I'm bored, right? Oh my God. I mean, the quarantine has probably shown that everyone's done that, right? And I think it's, um, yeah, how do I explain this? this? Okay, so with the cake. So I imagine that, we, you know, we all, we all need feeding, right? We all need feeding. We all need validation. 
And if you're accepting crumbs from someone, they're only going to give you crumbs because you're telling, you set the standard that that's all you think you're worth and that's all you deserve. This person is never going to give you the cake. And the cake could be a relationship. The cake could be commitment. The cake could be a date where you're not over each other's houses and this person isn't texting you at 2 a.m. Come over, what are you doing? Like all of this kind of stuff. And if you want the cake, you want a relationship, you have to communicate. Um, sorry, I'm not going to accept this this anymore I would like a relationship and I think it's I think it's that fear of coming across as needy it's not needy when everyone has needs and your needs deserve to be met that's the thing I think we, 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 we're afraid of um coming across as yeah we don't want to be the needy we don't want to be the needy woman which is just as gross like no you have needs and they're not being met that's wrong that's wrong someone's stringing you along because they know that they can dip in and out and you'll always be there mouth open ready for their crumbs so <laughs> i think um the key to not mentally need other people's affection and validation is to make your own cake and to me that looks like being single for the last two years um, and I have been dating but I've also been rejecting people and being rejected as well and sitting with that and growing and learning from it and evolving and going to therapy and journaling and putting the same energy into my platonic friendships and redirecting everything to me because for years it has always been about what I can do for other people and that's where you go into the settling for less than you deserve territory and accepting crumbs from people and I just I realized how much although my career was actually thriving when I was with my ex I realized how much more I could do <laughs> I was like do you know what I think I've got so fucking much more in me in fact I have a whole book in me and I'm gonna go do it and I'm gonna put all that energy into myself and it's ugly as well like the process of baking your own cake so making sure that you're always full. I think that that's the thing is making sure that you're always full so you don't even need crumbs because crumbs cease to be tempting when you're already full and you have a delicious fucking cake that you've made for yourself. The cake is perfect. It's full of all the stuff you like. And to me, that's like my bedroom. My bedroom is like my cake. It's my space. It's me going to my favorite coffee shop in the morning, going on a bike ride. It's me um crying when I need to and when I want to because I need to feel all my feelings it's me surrounding my flat in beautiful artwork and I love leopard print so everything in my flat is fucking leopard print and it's making this space so enriching and so fulfilling to me that this space is what I offer to other people and me as a whole individual I need someone to add value to my life rather than fill the hole because I think if you, I've gone from dating to dating to dating to dating to dating and I realized what I was doing was just trying to fill this hole and what happens when that person goes, the hole is still there. So you just need to fill it up because else you're just always going to be needing that craving. But I think it is healthy to have, everyone needs validation. It's a human need. Everyone needs to have their choices validated, I think. Um, but part of what I do is like, poke holes in all of the stuff that like the norm I hate anything that's really like normative by the narrative that has been laid out for women I hate it I don't know what I just hate it so I like to always question it and kind of show women that there is an alternative way that you can thrive and 
just because society has said there is this one way for you and that that is very validating because then it means you're in line with all your peers and you're doing what your peers want to do question if it's even what you want to do or what it's what you've been told you want to do does that even does the choices that you're making do the choices that you're making in your life even align with your own desires do you even know what your own desires are because i didn't my whole uh sex life was surrounded around what this other person wanted and what they wanted me to look like so i think for a lot a lot of the time it's we, women are so tapped into other people's desires. We don't even ask what we want. And especially when it comes, oh my God, there's just so many topics I want to cover right now. I mean, I was going to talk about masturbation, but I'll let you say something because I spoke for ages. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to hear. I feel like our listeners would love to hear about masturbation. Mm. Well, I was just going to say, um, we're not tapped into our desires because we're, we're socialized to believe that girls don't like sex or you know if girls do like and enjoy sex in their own body without the gaze of another man in the room um that it's something to be ashamed about and it's it's either way i don't know about in australia but in the uk if you don't want to fuck someone or like you reject a sexual advance you're called frigid and if it's the other Mm -hmm. way you know you're a slut and both are tools of shame one shames a woman for saying no for having autonomy over her own body and so does the other. The other, calling a woman a slut, shames her for her autonomy over her, and control over her own body. Both are tools of shame because they both say that women are not allowed to have their own sexual control. And it's the one thing that we do have under our control. And that is why it's so fucking scary to men. Because me rejecting a man is me saying, no, I don't need you. And then a woman going out and fucking whoever she wants, that's also scary to the, to the rules that we have about women in society because it says that she does what she fucking wants. She gets her needs met and it's threatening. And I think you only need to look at the fact that, um, so masturbation is shame with women. And I wrote about this in my book, so I'll talk about it here. Um, I, my ex-boyfriend, I told him, I was really excited because I just discovered the shower, the shower, the shower head setting, right? The really powerful one. And I just told him about it. And he gave me the silent treatment for hours. And I was kind of, I was like sent into this, like, chamber of reflection with his silent treatment with his passive aggression and that's a tool of manipulation it made me feel really bad and really guilty about what i did and he admitted in the end it's because it made him feel useless and i think masturbation is like rubbing your clit is an act of resistance because it's the one it's the one thing the one part if you have a pussy is the one part of your body, your clit, is the one part of your body that is designed for pleasure. People with penises do not have that. Like they don't have something that is designed specifically for pleasure. Ignoring your clitoris is an intentional effect of patriarchy because patriarchy does not want you to enjoy yourself. And I think choosing to, like I did this thing on my Instagram during lockdown. Oh, I saw that. So oh good. my God, it just, yeah. And I did this thing where it was like, um, how many people have, have seen their pussy? And so many people haven't seen their own vulva because they're afraid of looking at it. Um, 
and because they think it's ugly because they're afraid of what it looks like and that ties into how you fuck because if you've never seen your own pussy you're not going to be feeling confident in the bedroom you're not going to want to assert yourself and you're not even going to want to say no to things it's it's all of these internal barriers if you if your body is a site of shame like you don't even feel it belongs to you because we because of the way our bodies are taught as women in this world like they're shouted out on the street they're groped out in nightclubs we experience sexual harassment and sexual assault. It's so fucking common. We are taught on every single level that our bodies do not belong to us. And that carries into the bedroom as well, which is why people hate us masturbating. And you shared on Instagram women sharing their first like memories of having sexual pleasure. And every single person was like, I thought I was the only person in the world who did this. And it was every single woman. It was like grinding on something, or like dry humping something, or like humping each other, doing sleepovers, whatever. I I did that with my, um, me and my best friend Claire when we were like 11. But all we did was we just like lay in bed and we like rubbed each other, like tickled each other's back. But obviously, because you're just getting into that age where things feel really good. I was like, this is weird. Yes. What's happening? And, then you fit- and you have shame about it. And it's your first memory. And like, if that's your first memory, it's, yeah. Yeah. We've never discussed it ever. Yes. And it's <laughs> be like, so, be like, good I one. Think, I think I've never seen anyone talk about it before. And I think it's because mm. it's children. So it feels weird. It feels weird. It feels hypersexual. And I think we were afraid of having that discourse on the internet, right? I had so many messages from people saying, you're a pervert, you're this, you're that, all this horrible stuff in my messages. And I didn't care because I knew what the fuck I was doing. But at the same time, I think it was taking that one personal risk of people viewing me as this weird person to know that it was going to liberate the fuck out of thousands of other people because it was so powerful and it was um so many people were saying like i've been going to psychosexual therapy not me other people to deal with it because they thought they were messed up and you know what the doctors were telling them the doctors were telling them um that they'd probably you know the whole freudian thing it's like if you um if you masturbate as a child it's because you had a history of sexual abuse as a child but so many people every single person with a pussy that I know has done this and hasn't been through Mm. that. And it's this thing of like, again, it's a shame thing, but there's something wrong with you that, that's some, that, that, yeah, that there's something wrong with you for exploring pleasure. And I, I just remember, I think I spoke to my friends about it when I was 17, I was like at a sleepover with them. And it was the first time I'd had sleepover with more than one other friend. You don't really do that, like, really anymore. Do you know what I mean? You don't have a sleepover with your friends at, like, this age. But we did, when I was 17, it was, like, the last time I had a sleepover with more than one person. I was like, did you guys do, like, gay shit sleepovers when you were younger? And then they were like, oh, my God, yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> and then we all started talking about it. And it, it literally pulled all the shame out of our experiences and we realized like you know it's, it's nothing to be ashamed of and so many people that um responded to my thing said that you know they thought they were going to take the shit to the grave because they thought this was so humiliating and i did too i thought i was a weirdo i thought i was such a weirdo that i did this with my friends i think the chapter about marriage will be really groundbreaking for a lot of women um the way you challenge how we stick to these archaic traditions especially when they're rooted in so much kind of troubling history for women 
I haven't really been ever felt particularly drawn to marriage or having children. But as I've grown up, there's been this, you know, as I've gotten older and older, this kind of, I've always been told I'll change my mind. And then now I feel like this social conditioning has is kind of working. And then I get really confused about what I want all the time. Yes. Oh, it's like, yeah, it's like, it's like you knew what you want, what you wanted. Mm-hmm. And now it's worked on you. It's done the opposite because usually it's people are brainwashed into marriage and then they realize they don't want it. But you've known. And now it's like, as, as you're, you're getting older slowly year, year by year, people are telling you, yes, oh my God. As though it's like people are trying to misguide you from your gut instinct, which is fucked up. Yes. Like people will tell you, so change your mind, you'll change your mind. Like, why? If I change my mind, I change my mind, but it won't be because you fucking told me or because that's what happens as you get older. And I think that, yeah, I, I think that chapter has been opening for a lot of people. Um, I remember I watched this video. It was a BBC video, I think, or maybe it was by The Guardian. And it was this woman talking about it. She was like, marriage will never be a feminist idea. She was like, absolutely. And this is the thing. I don't condone anyone who fucking does it. I don't care any woman for anything that she does if it doesn't harm someone in the process. I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit. Plastic surgery, getting married, doing this, doing that, marrying rich men. You do you. And I will fucking, I'll be there clapping you while you do it. I love women who make their own choices, like fucking go for a hand. But personally, I don't like the idea of marriage. I would feel claustrophobic in a marriage knowing that I have to ask permission from the government to leave a relationship. That feeling (sighs) makes me feel sick. The whole idea of my dad walking me down the aisle like a cow, ready to like be stamped with my new owner's (laughs) name, like cattle. Like, it's weird it's, it's a weird, weird that's what they do and then they, they give you it's literally giving you away and you look at the laws you know um you could you could rape your wife before 1991 and if you were unmarried if you if you were un, an unmarried woman it was a it wasn't it was a what's the word it was a crime committed to your father because it was destruction of property because you're his property so if you had let's say yeah me if this happened to me um it wouldn't be a crime against me it wouldn't be a rape crime against me it would be a crime against my father and my father would receive the money from like the case or whatever because it's a destruction of his property me and then the rape of a married woman it would be a crime against her husband and then he would get the money so no one even thinks about the woman's body at all because it's not about you it's about the man because he owns you and it's destruction of his cattle it's gross and that's obviously that is on in the uk at least it's not like that today but it seeps in in how we view it and how we talk about marriage my other half like this is the thing people need to be whole before they're someone's other half you're not incomplete to be someone's other half like what are you without them a half you're nothing that's this language is so invasive and gross i hate it and i also feel like it becomes like a self-perpetuating thing because i think about the fact that most people i know don't care about marriage but then they'll Mm -hmm. go to weddings and it's after coming back from weddings that they want to get married because they've seen someone else do it and then they so if you go to a wedding every weekend for a year suddenly you're Mm -hmm. like why am i not doing this this is weird why Why aren't we doing this we should be doing this and everyone like it snowballs into being normal when if no one was doing it like no one i know talks about getting married until they're going to weddings 
and then they're like, yeah. I want to get married now. I think um, I love the idea of a big fucking party to celebrate my love with someone. Same. I just don't want a government contract to say mm. I can't dump them if I want to. Like that, that makes me <laughs> feel so icky and gross. And then knowing that everything is like tied up with this person. It, it's so patriarchal it's so patriarchal and this is the thing that no one else will tell young women this no one else is i mean sure like if you have a very like cool fucking feminist mom she might tell you this but no one else is going to tell women this so i was just like flip it in the book so <laughs> they can do their own research because i think it's all of this all of this normalcy that we're encouraged to do we're never we're never encouraged to question whether it's in line with our true desires and i think um yeah I just want women to question everything like is this really what you want to do and I think unless you see someone with a platform with a voice someone in the media who you respect talking about this stuff you know if you never see this in your day-to-day -day life you're never going to know there's an alternative you know so I think if people um Gloria Steinem said it's like a fish swimming in water doesn't know of an alternative to water the same way we in, in our society don't know of an alternative to, to, most of the time we don't know of an alternative to marriage or these disgusting gender roles that we fill in relationships, which usually involve women caretaking their fucking boyfriend. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. <laughs> so one of your really iconic shirts, well, one of your iconic prints that I've also seen on a shirt is um, maybe it's a girl crush, maybe you're just queer. And you talk about coming to terms with your sexuality and a lot of internalized biphobia you had. And I just wondered if you could talk about untangling all of that stuff. Yeah, I think internalized misogyny as well. There's so much with it because if women, if you love women and there's something in the way from you loving her because all you're seeing is competition, that's a big thing. That's a big thing to overcome because you're not seeing, you're not seeing this person. And then it all come, becomes caught up and then you're like, maybe she's a bitch. Maybe you just want to date her. Like there's all this, all this stuff that was going through my mind. Um, and then, yeah, I came out to my friend um, when I was back home in Plymouth when I was about 18 years old. And it was, it was so, I was so embarrassed about it. I was so 
embarrassed about what that meant because when you come out people look at you differently and people behave with you differently you're like okay I have to have this label now I have to own this and I have to tell people and it takes so long to yeah it's it's so I can't even describe it it's like yeah, it's coming out it's it's um it's really uncomfortable um but now I won't stop fucking shouting about it because because I'm so proud about it and I think it took me a long time to get rid of, oh my god it's still in me today you ask any queer person and everyone has some kind of form of internalized homophobia um but I don't know I think that was also so healing for me because I realized that I just fucking love the shower of women and it helped me with my internalized misogyny because I was like oh she's not my competition like I just fancy her or I am um, I don't know. It just, it, I think when you get, I wrote this in my book, once you heal your insecurities, it opens a door to empathy. And my insecurity was around my own biphobia. My insecurity was around the fact that I wanted to be in relationships with women. That was a huge insecurity of mine. So I projected onto other people and I was like about women. And then once I healed that wound, it opened the door to empathy. And I was like, I don't know. I just think when you heal those parts of yourself that you're so ashamed of, you just become a nicer person because you're not projecting it onto other people. We're all responsible for that. We're all responsible for not projecting our shit onto others. And that was a big thing for me because it was, it was like a lifelong thing that I was, I remember crying to my mom when I was younger, like, mom, I don't want to feel this way. And like really crying about it. And I think it's always, yeah, that's, it was, it was a big shame for me. And then when I healed, when I healed it by telling other people, by allowing others to perceive me the way I perceive myself in my head um, was great. And then also coming out, I started questioning everything. And then that's when I did that illustration that said, um, how much of my femininity is who I truly am and how much of it is a product of patriarchal brainwashing to exist for male consumption. So I'm a very feminine person. Um, like I love when I love curling my hair so I look like Farrah Fawcett and wearing makeup and wearing flares and I love being my divine fucking feminine self um but I also love wearing baggy suits and baggy t-shirts and doing fuck all with my appearance and I think I view my gender expression now as something that is again like myself constantly evolving as opposed to this like monolith thing and coming out enabled me to explore that and own it a part of the book that I found really interesting um, in terms of you coming out is that you said you didn't really realize you were queer because you didn't look at women the same way men looked at women. And I found that so interesting. Yeah. Um, can you kind of explain a bit about that and maybe even the term male gaze just for any of our listeners that aren't across it? Okay, so the male gaze is a term coined by Laura Mulvey. If you Google the male gaze, you will get it instantly because there are pictures that show you how women are depicted in cinema. So it is a term used to describe how women are portrayed as sex, sexual objects of desire for men. The, the, the way women are portrayed in cinema is, is as though a man is looking at her because a woman's worth is only on her body, right? It's, and you Google examples of the male gaze and it'll be pictures of Megan Fox opening up the bonnet of a car, like with her back stretched out like this. It's like, she didn't need to do that. She just needed to open the lid of the car, right? But everything <laughs> that women do in cinema is this sexual thing. And that the camera angles on her curves, that's not for women. 
that's not for, that's for men. And the way that women are portrayed as these objects of sex, sex symbols, does speak to the male eye. But even men have been socialized to view women in that way. Men aren't born wanting to froth at the fucking mouth at women in that way. It's all of these images that they consume of women and how they're encouraged to view women as sexual objects. I don't even know where to begin and how men are socialized that way. But I think the average guy starts watching, the average guy starts watching porn at like 12 years old. And if you think about the shit that happens in porn, I mean, where is a woman's pleasure even like in porn? And they start, that's how they start consuming the ideas about sex. Um, and we don't t- t- talk about consent either. So anyway, so the male gaze is um, how women's bodies are portrayed as sexual objects in cinema, in the movies and everything. Um, so the chapter that I was talking about was, that you were talking about, was how I didn't validate the way I loved women because it wasn't how men looked at women. And how I'd learned that men look at women was that they would look at a woman and like literally get a boner and be like, oh my gosh, she's so fucking hot. And they would literally objectify her like straight up, right? Men would literally, men could look at naked women with, with big tits on like all this super objectifying shit and be like, like, yeah, that's really sexy. I didn't look at women like that. I didn't look at women in that way and think, I, I didn't talk about women like how men do, it's repulsive. But I just thought that meant I didn't love women. Because if I didn't love women in this overtly sexual way that men do, I was like, oh, well, it's wrong. I don't, I don't love women, that's, that's not real. But I loved women and I loved women. And if any, my relationship with how I love women and how I'm attracted to women is so much more healthy because I see myself in them. I see a multifaceted human being who I'm very much attracted to and not this sexual ornament that pertains to my desires the way that men view them and i think for a lot of queer people as well that everyone has responded it's interesting you brought that up because everyone else has responded to that bit as well um because it's an interesting part a dialogue where it's like oh shit yeah the way i'm attracted to women I don't look at women like that because because I'm a woman and I and I don't buy into that because it's fake. You see it, you see that it's bullshit, and that yeah, you, you see you see a human being, not an object. And um, yeah, I think for me it was really validating. I quoted Ramona Marquez. She's um, an actress. She played Karen in Outnumbered. Have you ever seen Outnumbered? No. Oh, okay, just just anyone who's British and has watched is has watched and watches this will know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, she's she she played this young girl on a TV series. It was like this icon. Anyway, she's grown up now. And she's bisexual, and we talk on the internet. And um, she said to me that something that really confused her was from coming out and being bisexual was that heteronormativity and convinced us women that the only way you can love women was to objectify them and treat them like shit. And because we didn't want to do that, (laughs) we were like, oh, I just don't love women. (laughs) It's so messed up. It's so messed up. Because here we are, bisexuals, trying to, like, actually form meaningful, meaningful connections with other women. And absolutely, I'm sexually attracted to women. But it won't be in the same way that men are. Like, the, the, the things that make me sexually attracted to women are so different because I have a queer gaze. I'm looking at them through my lens, not the heterosexual, overly objectified, fetishizing lens. I'm looking at them from 
my specific gaze and it does not align with what straight men want Mm. that's so interesting and it's also why it's so important to have like a multitude of voices in the media that you consume which is another thing you talk about in the book you talk about this concept of media diets um we were wondering if you could share with us some of the films books or individual people that have really expanded your thinking Uh, okay if you like my book fucking hell you need to read the beauty myth by naomi wolf have you read it i read it in january and it literally changed my entire i was on the i was on the tube she talks about it on the podcast every i was on the tube and i just started looking at every woman on the train and i was like i literally feel like i've put on a new set of eyeballs i just can't believe how it affects every way i look at every person all day every day it's fucking crazy i want to reread it like every month the thing that really shook me was when she spoke about how women are not allowed to enjoy pleasure because so so like the same thing with food and sex you have too much food you're greedy but you're allowed enough you're allowed enough food women are allowed to eat enough calories a day to sustain life but if you're seen eating more, you're greedy, you're fat, you're repulsive, you're undesirable. Same with sex. You're allowed to have sex to sustain life, to have children, but have sex for pleasure and you're a slut. So it's, it's all that she says is food and sex. And both of these things are used to control women, food and sex, right? So many women have eating disorders. Disordered eating is just so common. It's almost in, I think every single person has it to a degree. Even if, even if you're on a diet, that's that's basically disordered eating because you're not supposed to be thinking about food in this way and it's all based on control and it's all about controlling controlling women's bodies with food the same way it's about controlling women's bodies with sex and she goes into it in the book and it just blew my mind and yeah so the beauty myth by naomi wolf she wrote a tweet the other day saying she's gonna read my book i saw that so um, good. Yeah, so The Beauty Myth by Naomi Wolf, um, Me and White Supremacy by Leila Saad changed my life. She did the Instagram challenge like a couple years ago and then released the mm-hmm. book. Um, so Beauty Myth, Me and White Supremacy. Um, I guess I learned a lot of what I know now, not by leaning on my friends of colour, not by leaning on my other queer friends, not by leaning on my trans friends, but by reading articles. And there's, there's, um, there's so many websites that you can learn shit from. Just by t- just by googling, just google it, just google stuff. Like if you don't if you don't know something, there's so many articles like a hundred microaggressions that white people do to people of color. Memorize them and don't fucking do them. And then read articles about their experiences. Read articles about what not to say to sexual assault survivors because if you're a woman, you are bound to have a friend who comes to you about that experience once in your life. And all of this stuff, or anything you want to know, there's a whole plethora of information out there, and you can google it everydayfeminism.com is a really good resource they have stuff you wouldn't even think about googling on there um which again just goes to show privilege because you're not even thinking about these issues uh why i'm no longer talking to white people about race by renia delodge um it's currently the number one book in the in the uk like on all the so crazy yeah it's so it's so good yeah there's there's loads loads of jumping off points so one of my favorite sentences in the book is i think you're quoting someone else but it's where you write it costs more to be a woman in the same world where we're paid substantially less than men and we're tricked into believing that splitting the bill is the route to equality. Yeah, that's a quote by Chidara Egaru. Yeah, that so was a much. quote. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's mind blowing, isn't it? It's just one of those things you see men, like dickhead men on dates with like, oh, I thought you were feminist. Like, and it's like, and is that the only time you're ever going to talk about equality when you're ah, going to get to pay less? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yes. yeah, not, not going to talk about it when it costs you something. Oh my God, they only <laughs> talk about it when it benefits them. Um, so there was one little can of worms you wanted to open, which is kind of the intersection between internalized misogyny and beauty standards. And something we talked about is about how we don't want to criticize women for adhering to beauty standards because that is the only way that they can progress in the world often. At the same time, a lot of high profile women um, are the biggest enforcers of certain unrealistic beauty standards. And so we talked, for example, about how um, Victoria's Secret angels are known to facetune their waists even smaller, as one example. Where do you think the line is between accountability in a helpful way, not in a, cancel- a cancelling way, and accepting that you shouldn't criticise individual women for adhering to a system that they were born into? I love that. <laughs> I love that I love that and it's 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 one that does require critical thought and i think again everything is contextual everything everything is contextual i think there's performing femininity i i hate any any photoshop no no because you don't even look like that do you know what i mean it's not like we can make i can i can i've got a turban on no makeup right now but if you give me half an hour, I can curl all my hair and full face of makeup and I will look like a completely different person. But that's how I, that is genuinely how I look. I'm not face tuning anything. I'm not um, modifying anything to an image that doesn't exist. When I do my hair and my makeup, I exist. I look, I look like that. Sure, I don't look like it right now. And it took a lot of tools and transformation to make myself look pretty and feminine. But that's how I look. And Photoshop you are literally living up to a standard that does not even exist for the person that is the object of your envy. It's it's so distorted. It's literally distorting and it's mentally distorting as well. And the beauty standards are changing all the time. And what's worse is now that white women are now appropriating black culture and black features. And of course, like I said, Kardashians like Kim doing all of this, really doing the most and doing it all the time with appropriation. At this point, it feels intentional because how can you do this for years? Be called out so many times and still not doing anything about it. She would change the world. She would literally change the world if she released a video. All she would have to do is be, be humble and have so much humility about it and be like, hey guys, I just want to say I'm apologizing for the ways that I've appropriated black culture. She, this is what she would do. She should do. She should apologize for appropriating black culture, for profiting off it for setting trends, like all of the trends that she sets, like has this massive trickle effect. She is the trendsetter, unfortunately, and for white women a lot of the time. And when she does this, like that, I have, I have white friends from back home and I'm like, why do they look mixed race now? Like they're white women and they look mixed. I don't even recognize them anymore. It's wild. While an actual mixed race person can't wipe off that makeup and is experiencing racial microaggressions from people like you every single day I can't imagine how frustrating that must be for people of color like and it's it's yeah it's again the beauty standard is moving and I think where when you have a platform like that like Kim you have so much so much responsibility 
because she's just regurgitating this kind of stuff and all it would take she would probably benefit if she held herself accountable she would benefit so much if she held herself accountable i think people would be so impressed if she made if she like spoke out and was like you know what i'm fucking sorry I'm going to stop appropriating black culture and I'm going to donate money to this. I'm going to start putting money into black owned businesses so that they can thrive. Like it's, it's really, I don't know. There's, there's so much, I'm so glad that people are having these discussions on the, this is the biggest level I've ever seen people have conversations about race ever. Um, and whiteness as well, because we don't talk about whiteness. We talk about racism, but we don't interrogate this and we don't interrogate what we are perpetuating and i think that's what's changed right it's that people are talking about mm. white privilege not just racism yeah everyone used to just be like you're racist i'm not and now it's like no no bitch we're all racist um i know you listen to bobo and flex too but i they said in this week's episode bobo said that she thinks the reason that this is uh, taking off at the level it is now is because with coronavirus it's the first time white people have experienced something akin to oppression it's not oppression but like not being able to get into a hospital when you want to losing your job with no uh, reason having money cut off and not getting like for the first time on mass white people are experiencing what it's like to be screwed over by the uh, system and now they can suddenly empathize in a way they couldn't before i love that i love i didn't think about that what i have thought about though which is similar because i saw a tweet on it someone said in a similar kind of breath that the reason more white people are mobilizing now is because they're not working they're not booked down by 40 hour weeks mm, and we are no fine. longer distracted by the nine to five of capitalism living to survive people are now sat at their homes forced to confront themselves this has never happened before so as well as what Boba said about people feeling oppression um they are also we're also now in our homes having to reflect because there's fuck all else to do and we're not distracted by nine to five and our microcosm of the universe which capitalism uses to distract us from activating change this person was saying on this tweet that like that's kind of the whole point i guess of you know the nine to five working for 40 hour weeks you don't even have time to critique your thought processes or read books on anti-racism if you're trying to feed your family on and or like working all these hours and doing all this stuff you don't think about because you're it's survival mode you're just working 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 and now people are not doing that the majority so white people i think in the uk it's oh i don't know the exact percentage but it's three percent of black people in the uk so the so white people a huge 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 majority in the uk and now the majority are waking up that's why there's been so much mobilization with this movement because we've had time to attend protests we've had time to reflect we've had time to sit in that guilt and then use that guilt to activate change and yeah it's really 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 big and this is the new normal and i'm so happy about it <laughs> One thing that I've been noticing recently is um, I read, you know, I read lots of feminist books. I identify as a feminist. Um, I've written feminist publications my whole life, but I've been really noticing and kind of unpacking all of the ways that I'm a people pleaser without even realizing it. So like my little sister the other day, she's 19. She is incredible. She came out at 15. She's just unapologetically herself. She was blasting her, she was sitting here, blasting her flatmates about being messy on her phone and I was and I was about to say to her 
don't do that. They're going to think you're annoying or don't do that. They're going to think you're too much. Um, and I stopped myself and then I noticed at, I was at a cafe and I was like, my friend was talking really loud and I was looking around to make sure we weren't annoying everyone. And it's funny because I, and yeah, in so many ways I'm so independent and outspoken, but obviously this idea that women need to make themselves small or. That's so amazing though, that you like had that critique in you, like to go, Nope, not going to do that. Because I, I know exactly what you're saying. It's like, and also I think the thing of being too loud in spaces is a thing of women being afraid to take up space as well. So women don't want to, we don't mm. want to take up space. We don't want to be too loud. We don't want to be seen as um, outside of the, the mold of woman, which is nice and quiet, submissive. She agrees to everything, which is the people pleaser. And I think women are socialized. I, th I don't think people pleasing is even a thing that, um, I just think we're just all socialized into it unless you had like um, someone like in your life like deliberately making sure that you aren't a people pleaser I think we are encouraged to be um, people pleasers and especially white women as well because we grow up believing that we are the innocent um, like portrayal of femininity and it's so gross but that's the truth and so we cling to this image of being the nice, quiet, small, innocent, that kind of image is racist. The whole thing is racist as well. So it's not even just this. Um, I think I, I some, saw someone the other day call it toxic white femininity. So it refers to also like the white woman tears thing and how much power those tears have when weaponized against black men. You know, you see all these women like ringing up the phone on the police and stuff and how much power there is in white women being viewed as innocent and small. So anytime, because I think I find it so much easier to advocate for others than I do myself, to be honest. I think any time that you even think about doing that, also remind yourself that it's racist to be portraying white women as innocent and meant to just do whatever the fuck you want. Because I, f I find it easier to advocate for other people. I find it easier to talk about why yeah, something same. I'm doing is wrong and is harmful for others. And again, that, that's another thing which is against my own design. I'm not even thinking about my interests, I'm thinking about other people. But if that helps you also, to advocate for yourself in return, great. Grace's thing for me is she goes, whenever I am talking negatively about myself, she goes, how dare you talk about your best friend like that? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's I'm like, would you say that to me? I'm like, would you talk to me like that? That's what so would you do true. if someone said that to me? Yeah, my therapist yeah. always says, how would you talk to a friend? And I'm like, I would never yes. talk to my friends how I talk to myself. Mm, same. Mm. Okay, final question, because this is, um, this segment is called After Work Drinks With um, because we've handpicked people who we would absolutely love to get a drink with. Okay. And now that we live in London, we're going to hunt you down. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is your favorite place to get a drink and your drink of choice? Favorite place to get a drink? I kind of just, I love a pub. I love a pub and I love to go for a pint. Um, okay, yeah, my favorite drink will be a pale ale, Camden Pale Ale. Love. That's my favorite drink, yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us. We yeah, appreciate it so us. much. Thank you for writing an amazing book that is going to change so many girls' lives and just for existing. And... I'm, so, I'm so excited. I'm excited to like rewatch this back and send it to people. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Oh my God. Same. I can't wait to send it to my friends. It's funny. I moved to London a year ago. And I went to the Rixo fashion show when they had it, when they had that big party. Disco, the disco one. Yeah. And I, I got there and I walked in with my friend and she goes, oh my God. And she was like, Florence is here. And I was like, who's that? Say I was and there. she was like, yeah. 
And she and I was like, and I just moved to London. She'd lived there for a while. And I was like, who's that? And she was like, Florence, you need to have her on your podcast. And she and we'd only like, we hadn't we hadn't started doing interviews. I was with my mum. And my mum had just come to London and I was like, Mum, I've got an invite for a fashion show. Let's go. It was beautiful, wasn't it? Yeah, it was so cool. But she was like, You have to have her on your podcast. Then she showed me your Instagram. I followed you. The minute we decided we wanted to do interviews, we had you at the top of our list. Oh my god, that's amazing. Like literally like a whole year and a half later. Because it was in February, right? Yeah. Fashion week. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thanks for telling me that story. That's so funny. <laughs> I know. And then I messaged my friend today and I was like, questions for Florence is happening. And she was just like, yeah, amazing. Thank you so much. And congrats on the book. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.